Hey everyone, Aramethius here again. Our technical difficulties have carried on, unfortunately. They're not quite so bad because we actually have an intact backup for this Hooks episode, but it was all recorded as one track, so there are places where I would usually try and even out where we have some slight crosstalk and so on, and there's occasionally a little bit of background noise and stuff that I wasn't quite able to clean because it was all one track, but hopefully this should be clearer than the lore episode was. And I'm sorry again, we will try and get all of these things ironed out for ahead of the next episode but i hope it doesn't get in your way too much as you listen to the show thank you ever so much guys and enjoy d20 radio where gamers roll Welcome to the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny, your podcast guide to all places and plots exalted. I'm Rails. And I'm Aramithius. And before we get too far into this episode, just to throw out our contact details out there, um, if you have any comments or questions or things you want to ask us, angry rants to send us, whatever, do email us at wondrousatlas at gmail.com. We would absolutely love to hear from you guys about what we're doing here. If there's any particular areas you want us to look into, that sort of stuff. Uh, If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't and you just want to let us know, do leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to on we'd absolutely love to just get some feedback so we can stop doing the stuff that you don't like and carry on doing more of the stuff you do and if you want to support the podcast as well we are drive through rpg affiliates our affiliate link is in the show notes or the description if you're watching this on youtube and, and we've just become as... professionals we've got ourselves a network you might have heard from the little intro here but we've joined up with d20 radio and we got interviewed we're sounding dangerously like we know what we're doing here. By me and Steve talk RPGs. By, by the time this has come out, that will definitely be up. And there will probably be a link somewhere around where you're listening to this to find it. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the description. It'll be wherever links are normally hidden. And there'll also be links to the network so you can go and listen to all the other podcasts that are on there, which are generally more sci-fi and more RP- broader RPG things than us sitting here talking about Exalted. <laughs> yes, there are a collection of uh, ones that will look tend to look more at White Wolf and Onyx Path than anything else, but broadly speaking, the network does have a fair amount of sci-fi as well, and multiple Legend of the Five Rings actual plays for reasons that I, I don't we know. That's the Legend of the Five Rings community, guys. Pretty much. <laughs> I can't be throwing stones. I've spent many hundreds of pounds on books for that, but <laughs> you know, I don't play the card game, so I'm still somehow financially secure. <laughs> yes, that's true. But yes, anyway, this is the Story Hooks episode for the Immaculate Order. Um, oh, and just one, one final heads up: you will hear us plugging various bits for the network, just on and off, because we're part of the network now, and we like to talk about it. That is the point of having a podcast network, so that you can go and think, "Oh, that's interesting," and go and listen. So. Do go and listen. We will be having intermittent chats about other bits of the podcast network. And if you like something that that takes your fancy, go listen. And with all that said, we are now kicking off with the story hooks for the Immaculate Order. 
we've just done the um, the lore episode well that was the last one on the podcast feed and so we're now unpacking what sort of things you can do with them in games and how to do all those sorts of things so we start off with some broad sort of themes for the Immaculate Order I think it kind of goes without saying that sort of religion is kind of the big tent theme here and everywhere that religion gets which is an awful lot of places when you dig down to it um and also quite militant religion as well because the immaculate order is martial in a way that not that many contemporary religions are in this world and so it has a whole bunch of themes to go along with that you can do you can do th- you can do things like um, Immaculate Order Crusading um, because the Immaculate Order is tied to the realm. It's got a good bunch of colonial stuff to go along with it, and how the realm and the order interact is uh, another kind of rich vein of things that you can go into. But I've just been kind of doing the ten thousand feet overview. Is there anything we can kind of go into in a bit more depth here, rather yeah. than I just read down our notes and we've done the podcast in about five ten minutes? The, the big thing that I think you really have to do as a storyteller when you're going to be doing anything that's focusing on the Immaculate Order is sit down and settle on what you think it is, because it's a very yeah. broad tent religion and you need to know what you're doing with it. Not just in terms of like the their theology and beliefs and all that, we've told you that half of it, but how they behave. Because a lot of players that you're going to get over here at least that come in fresh and look at the Immaculate Order and think, oh yeah, they're all vaguely Buddhisty monkey, are going to be thinking, that means they're pacifists. That is a notion you have to dissuade them of, quickly <laughs> and effectively, to try and sell you to go read some history books in the continuous thread of us making you go off and do odd bits of reading. Look at the Tibetan Empire. That's how the Immaculate Order is. That's how their approach to the religion went. The religion might say you do X, Y, and Z. That doesn't mean we can't take a big sword and make sure that you also do the right and good things. Or in their cases, a kung fu man. But Yes, uh, that's one of the things that the Immaculate Order really is different from a lot of modern day religion. It has an idea of how the world should be in the form of the perfected hierarchy. And it will do pretty much whatever it takes to ensure that that's the case. I mean, there are a few tools that the Order won't use because using them or associating with them at all is disrupting the perfected hierarchy. But that's... Yes. (laughs) I can't think of many others is the problem because they don't have that much of an issue with demon summoning. As long as you are in charge of them again. Yes, it's... it's basically just necromancy and maybe cutting deals with the fair folk, but that's mm. dubious no matter who does it. Yes, kind of the enemies of creation is kind of the extent of it. But yeah, the other sort of thing that you can do with it as well is you do need to sort of decide in the area where you're playing it, how much sway does it have, for use of a better term, because there are going to be places, whether they are satrapies or places on the aisle, where the monks basically sit there in their temple or in their monastery and do immaculate monk things, and the local government is going to be big and beefy enough that they can't really play about with it. And then there are going to be satrapies where the satrap is sitting there, but it's the monks running the show. And you've got to find where on that spectrum you're putting your game. Yes, and that will basically dictate what sort of 
things the npcs in your games do and how freely they do them one other thing that's i think prevalent with the immaculate order in the realm that even if the immaculate order players or the immaculate order npcs i should say aren't big npcs in your campaign kind of the cultural impact of the order is probably still going to be quite big Mm. so there will be things where folks will want to at least publicly commend the immaculate order and be in line with the immaculate philosophy it's not necessarily the case of the immaculate philosophy is necessarily the ocean in which your campaign fish is swimming but it's It's just got to be something that's kind of almost felt as a sort of assumed background which it's something that you're going to have to work in with npcs that aren't necessarily part of the order that there's an assumption of immaculate precepts and immaculate primacy i don't know whether supremacy is the right word that those ideas are the ones that you listen to and the instant you step outside of those people are going to look at you funny at the very least if not demand that you stop what you're doing with weapons if you're in the middle yes once you start getting out to the edges, like you mentioned earlier in the in the very quick whistle-stop tour of the themes here, the whole colonialism angle yes. and the whole sort of impact on society bit, this is an interesting one, mostly because, not to spoil some of our future episodes when we get into the directions, we don't get overwhelming amounts about what the actual sort of religious build-up of other directions are, other than the ones where there are actual gods that are doing politics. Yes. And so you kind of, if you're doing a threshold game where immaculacy isn't the most welcome, which is most of the threshold, you get to actually use it in a much more interesting way because you can have it start bouncing off of something it doesn't like, which lets you basically shine a light on both halves of it. My immediate gut instinct always says doing it in Antung because Antung wants you to be doing it there. But I'd almost argue, just for a bit of spice, doing it in the... In the uh, I don't like calling it the near north because that implies that I that it's a lot a lot closer to the realm than it is. But the the non Haslanti north, the Are bit you... that is Scandinavia, the not the bit that is the Arctic. <laughs> You're talking the bit south of the White Sea. Yeah. Okay. The, the bit that is not frozen Europe, rather than the bit that is not Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because well, it's. I, until we get across the eight directions, I'm not sure that we get a hu- we're going to get a huge amount of detail on that. But there's not an awful lot uh, kind of around the wasting tundra sort of area. So, but it's the sort of thing there of every other direction, the realm and immaculacy wasn't amazingly received. I tend to kind of view that other than the east, but there's arguments of immaculacy might have actually started there. I kind of get the idea that if we want to play directional culture in this. The immaculacy is, for use of a better term, central culture. Yes. And thus, I like the idea of, in each direction, it bumps into things that are resisting it quite fervently. Because the far north, we have all of second edition with how much the Haslanti really, really hate them. We know that bit. Mm-hmm. But that yeah. near north, that south of the White Sea bit is new, and you can have the interesting bounce off there. And given how everything else there is vaguely European, there's a little part of me really wanting to make them Vikings. <laughs> yeah there's also part of me that thinks that the immaculate order and immaculacy in general in that sort of space is quite a bit more pragmatic you go along with the monks because they're the ones can, that can deal with the things that go bump in the night far better than anything else yeah, and that's and there's that side of it i'm a little skeptical on the whole it's not 
that well received outside of the threshold because i think that's another kind of angle that immaculacy and the realm are not the same thing and Mm. you'll get some bleed of uh, the immaculate faith or the immaculate philosophy outside of the realm if you want to deal with proper kind of precarious immaculate play and kind of frontiersy kind of feel uh, for it you can just have a bunch of immaculate player characters doing things outside of the realm where they have to be really careful about what they do and who they talk to and who they upset whereas within the realm you can reasonably rely on some backing within the threshold proper yeah and that that is okay it's more the thing that i the reason that i tend to read it as not that well received is as much as immaculacy isn't synonymous with the realm that only ever tends to extend, as far as I can tell, into the positive. Because if you have a beef with the realm, all of the examples I can think of, I can't think of any major player other than Lookshy, which is the big sticky out th- thumb one, but is also very immaculate, that has a beef with the realm, but is okay with the immaculates. Because they are seen mm. as, even if they're not the same entity, it's two wings on the same bird. Yeah, it is entirely possible that one could be or that the Immaculate Philosophy could be laying groundwork for a Realm Conquest later on. That's absolutely a thing that I'm Which, sure happens. I was going to say, is that that's almost certainly happened a fair few times. Yeah. But it's sort of the thing of, I'm, I'm trying to think off my head, it's like the Haslanti hate the Realm, hate the Immaculates. The uh, Halter and the Linoan hate both of them. Alat has no great love for anything that is not Alat. Yeah, there's and not an awful lot you're coming in here, and where the realm is coming in here and taking our way of life by robbing us blind, the Immaculates are coming in here by taking our way of life by kicking our god in the face. Yes, which is not something that tends to go down particularly well, (laughs) generally speaking. But you do also have that potential option as well, that because they are distinct things, you can also have the Immaculate Order also function as realm critique. I mean, the classic example of this is doing it within the realm itself, where the monks are leading the rebellion against the satrap that isn't fulfilling their role within the perfected hierarchy and doing odd things. So you can sort of set that up as something within a satrapy. But you can also potentially do that in... I would almost say that that a scavenger lands type play as well, because there you're potentially likely to have some dragon-blooded empires and a fairly strong immaculate presence. Yeah, and And it's... But not enough that you can't... It's That one I like. I like the idea of the Immaculate Game in the Scavenger Lands for sort of two reasons. Because, broadly speaking, don't do it in and near Lookshy. That's easy. No. That's like playing in the realm. You've got government support there. Do it maybe in the Hundred Kingdoms, but my gut wants to say, do it somewhere in the Triune League, as now they've called it, in Greater Great Forks, as oh, I insist yeah. on going for it. Because yes. that's a fun one, where it's the case of there will be some Immaculates there, because the three like every religion. They like all of them. Yes. Uh, and they try and get all of them in. But equally, in a normal setting, if a god is causing trouble, the Immaculate solution is to go and punch it. That's not as easy an option here. The god will take you to court. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's the case of when the Immaculates want to set themselves out as the god police... Put them in the place that's full of gods. See how that plays. Yes. And conversely, there's also kind of a flip side to that. I've We're sort of segueing into the kind of games you can play with immaculate player characters at this point. So I'm just going to dive straight in with some of that. The idea of 
playing the politics side of spirituality within creation is always something that sort of intrigues me and so you've got the flip side of how does the immaculate order sell itself within somewhere like great forks and then you've also got somewhere like numa which is the opposite side where the gods have to come and petition the order in order to get their requisite worship within the immaculate prayer calendar and so you can play both sides depending on what you're after. I think whether you choose Great Forks or whether you choose Numa depends on whether you want it set to easy or not or how much power you want to give the players as kind of support rails, if you like, because it can wind up with a very, very different game. I think if you're doing Numa, then it's sort of politics first and kind of the question of, what sort of impact is this going to have on the realm uh, for this particular type of uh, spiritual negotiation and so on. So rather than the gods necessarily being a serious threat to the status quo, whereas if it's somewhere like Great Forks, then the monks are going to be the disruptive element that doesn't want to tread on anyone's toes and trying to do it quietly is going to be the thing. And finding things to give the gods as bargaining chips is going to be the big thing because mm. what can the order offer someone who is lodged up in great forks particularly i mean worship in itself is going to be a thing that can be kind of dangled and the prayer and ambrosia as a result will be quite nice particularly for those who have never had it or haven't had it much kind of the the idea of the the feral gods that kind of rove the streets in great forks looking to extort worship would probably take that with open arms Ooh, that's quite a immaculate street gang of gods that is a really juicy idea immaculate as worship pusher yes Oh yes, it it only gets worse because there's places in there. I'm I'm seeing a whole group audience. You've now just seen the maker thing change <laughs> again in real speed because <laughs> I, I know a little bit about Great Forks and just a little. That, that has some mileage. But yes, you could absolutely get that as a way to do it instead of Godbusters. You have the Immaculates functioning as drug lords. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's an interesting take. And following through on that slightly sketchy way they operate thing, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to mention the idea of using them as a front. Yes. Because there will be some times when the Immaculate Monk, your monk superior, your abbot, there we go, will come down to you and say, you need to go and do this thing at this place, and you won't quite get what's going on. It doesn't appear to be religiously significant or useful for the Order. And it's because you're being set up by some SIDS. <laughs> well, not necessarily some even siderials, because it could just be that someone's got some influence over the order yeah. and wants them to do, or a portion of the order and wants them to do a thing. I imagine that that's quite common with House Nimon. Yeah. And that sort of idea of is the order doing the right thing, even by the order's own standards? Mm. And, and question is yeah, what's happening when those two part? There's the one you can do with that as well. If you want the Immaculate game where you can really highlight that thing of are we doing what we should be doing? It's Elsie Handler game. Mm-hmm. Because a decent enough amount of the Order know about the Elsie thing and the Order is supposed to be their sort of refuge and cover-up thing. Yeah. So it's the case of you get told, yeah, you need to help this person get from point A to point B. Yeah, escort and, uh, this pilgrim. 
yeah, escort this pilgrim and ignore the fact that people keep dying at every stop on your pilgrimage. <laughs> yeah, and you start to question, well, is this something that we should be supporting? And that's a nice thing, because one of the things that I really don't want for Immaculate Games is the kind of the question of, do we ignore the dogma because what we feel as players or as PCs is right, is being contradicted by what the Order does? That's easy. That's yeah boring, in my opinion. Yeah, you've got to get inside it. Because the thing yeah. is, if you're a player character as well, you're an exalt. This is the uncomfortable thing that I've had to deal with with some of my players before who have played quite staunch Immaculates. And this Elsie's, for that matter. The Order demands a certain degree of dragon-blooded supremacy. Yes. Which is a very uncomfortable thing for a lot of players to come to terms with because it rings a little too many bells that sound a bit too close to a lot of unpleasant things yes well the very the very word supremacy does that yeah there isn't a way that you can be a properly highly devout immaculate and think that humans are worth the time of day is the Mm -hmm. issue they are they are to take the feudal term here they are your vassals and your serfs and that is all they will ever be you do not put them on the same level as a dragon that is what the book says if you have the trolley problem of one dragon or ten humans, you take the dragon every time. Yes. And exploring that as a problem with the perfected hierarchy is absolutely a valid game, mm-hmm. but probably not one that you want to do with an immaculate player character group. If you want to do that sort of thing, then it would potentially be a single immaculate within a mixed group, or a group of dragons that are tangentially involved with the order and then you can get into the questioning bits of society in general that they don't have investments in see the way i see it go with this if you want your question the perfected hierarchy game there's an easier way to do it Mm -hmm. your missionaries pilgrims whatever you like something that means you're outside of the realm because you have to be out of the realm for this Encounter some city or place that's outside of normal dragon-blooded hegemony zones that has... let's It'll probably be a solar, because solars are idealistic like that. Actually doing good and making it a better place. And it's the uncomfortable thing of, I have to kill that, it's a religious anatomy. But it's (laughs) helping. The image I have in my head here is going out, I don't know, let's say out east, and you find a solar that's managed to turn on one of the weird Magitech cities that makes everything habitable and all of that stuff, and is making it all run nice and smooth. And it's just that uncomfortable bit of, everyone is better off for having this thing, but the hierarchy says this thing is terrible. Yes, and that's, I think, something that you need to kind of highlight with different NPCs if you're going to bring up that sort of a question, because you have the layered understandings of the hierarchy and anathema Mm. particularly within the immaculate order you have the lower ranks and the laity that are told these things are monsters and they're bad and should all die and the instant you see monster is not bad then you can start to have questions whereas the more nuanced process that the higher-ups go through is that they say yes these things are exalted they are blessed by the gods but they can't handle it it's not a case of they mean to do bad things they can have fantastically good intentions but they will 
at some point go mad with power like that Albert Schwarzer guy or whatever term you want to put on it. Just to do a very, very bad Mo impression for those of you wondering. The point you raise then to do that is once the players have gotten that bit from talking to the monk and be like, but he was doing good and they've had that nuanced explanation, you then, as a storyteller, with a little wicked grin on your face, show them a dragon going mad with power and ruining everything. <laughs> yes. And you say, Which well. Happens just as often. <laughs> well, it should do. <laughs> yeah. If not you more. Think it happens more. There's more dragons. Yes, it and on how dra- strong you think the great curse. Yeah, is and the dragons actually have a mechanical incentive to indulge the great curse, whereas solars have a mechanical incentive to resist it. But yeah. that's just the incentives of gameplay yeah. and how much you want to actually go into how far that's yeah. part of the lore. Yeah. The other one you can question it with if you don't want to go full solar, because the solars understanding you will be the ones that make people jump and go, "Ugh, evil monster!" Do it with ghosts. That's the one you can have a lot of nuance with. Yes. Because it's the sort of case of the undead being around is is always bad. And with Solars, you can make the argument of, yeah, eventually they go nuts and when they do, everything goes bad. Mm-hmm. Ghosts don't really do that. At least not sapient ghosts. Your hungry no. ghosts do, but like Granny's shade hanging around and still coming around for tea in the evening isn't hurting anyone. No. I would also argue that they potentially have benefits for a community if not so much not so much granny shade but the ghost elder who's seen about 5 generations go by provided that they have enough will to actually absorb all that new information and process it properly which isn't possible for all ghosts bear in mind but yeah. If you have something that's that capable, then they are a fantastic anchor for institutional knowledge and wisdom and guidance based on that experience. We'll, we'll get to this when we do our Death Lords episode, but there's a reason yeah. that the ancestor cults stick so often yeah. when they get founded, because they work kind of in the same way that Immaculacy does work in what it sets out to do, so do the ancestor cults. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that sort of needs to be hammered home a bit, that Immaculacy does have a solid kind of basis for providing folks with a comfortable place in the world. And as much as, at least in the societies that we're in and have a lot of exposure to, the whole idea of know your place and be quiet is a bad thing. It is possible to say, well, yes, this is what I am destined to do and that is fine, is potentially a mindset that you want to have for proper immaculate NPCs that don't necessarily have ambitions. So you're thinking about the mortal followers, the oblates, and that sort of thing. Just as a little bit of colour to... I don't know whether this is necessarily making things real and whatnot, but it just strikes me as there needs to be a fuller presentation of the order, which is one of the things I like about Third's presentation. They really do flesh it out as a proper institution rather than just being a false religion that's transparently not the case and should be dismissed out of hand. But yeah, anyway, I think we discussed that a bit in the lore episode, and so I'm we not going to rehash. Did. Yeah, and it's but just to segue out of that, you still can absolutely have games around the digging into its origins because yes. even in third, which has tried to tear the sidereals out of it as much as they can, there are still going to be points in Immaculate History where things don't add up. Yes. <laughs> you could almost have Immaculate Archaeologists as a game. 
just yeah. kind of going through the archives, finding artifacts, finding lost cities, interrogating ghosts. I mean, you're verging on heresy just doing that. Ladals. It would yeah. be Ladals doing this. It would be Ladals doing that, yes. If you want to be stereotypical. But yeah, doing a game where you uncover the history of immaculacy either within a region or generally or the truth or not of a particular legend i think would be a fantastic game yeah, I mean, that it, it's ver- one that i like if mm-hmm. you want to do a globe trotting game which yeah. in exalted is normally hard because of the scale of it but if you do it as sort of anthology thing of fading in and out in bits you can go for it yeah tracing the steps of Heshiash. I'm not sure if Third still makes it specifically that he walked the stations, but that's the term they use in second for how sorcery got unlocked by Heshiesh and by Bridget. It's go to each of the poles in order, or go to a shrine near each of the poles in order and have a revelation. And so it's yeah. a case of try to trace that pilgrimage, and then slowly as you're going on with this of, oh... Oh, I see what we've done here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for something like that, you would have to be very, very rigid on when something has been achieved or whether there's more to explore in a place. Because yeah. one of the problems I find for trotting games is that you tend to establish things happening in a place because you want it to feel like a living, breathing environment. And those things just present little squirrel moments uh, for the players and Mm. they will go off and investigate and then they'll lead into something else and then entangle something else and have a local problem to solve and then once the local problem solved they have to put the solution into place and it would need to be quite a focused game i feel as much as it's kind of wide and sprawling unless you're prepared to make it a full-on multi-year game then it would have to be quite go there, do a thing, and move on. It's There would need to be sort of local colour around and things that can happen and can yeah. potentially derail. I, I'm not sure what you would have in the terms of a long-term antagonist for a game like that. Cause... I'm not sure you necessarily need one. Yeah. It's, uncovering the mystery goes for its whole thing. And this is a weird case where you don't necessarily need one person actively trying to stop you. It's just the sort of slow knowledge of, especially if it's an immaculate party, of mm-hmm. the more you get the pieces here of, this wasn't Hesh Yesh. This was, uh, uh, you're sort of slowly realizing, oh, they're not going to like this when we tell them this. <laughs> they are not yeah. going to like this. <laughs> and so you make the thing of, there isn't a single antagonist you can conveniently look at and punch to solve the thing. It's rather the looming spectre of immaculacy and the fact that you've learned the truth and you're as you're going along are you sure you can tell them this yeah it's almost worth having an npc there that's kind of their patron or their contact that's That's wanting to know the details i'd set this up in a sort of again my my players know i referred i referred to the sort of big chunks of sessions in my games as seasons but I would do this as a five-season sort of thing, one in yeah. each thing. In the between bits, you do maybe not even as full sessions. Maybe it's just a thing with like getting the players in a group chat or whatever. But you do the exchange of correspondence with the patron back in the yes. Palace Sublime. And it's like, yes, we found this, 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 this. I don't think we're going to reveal that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a question of how much you tell the patron and, and what happens when things match up. And I also feel that you've got to give a reason for them to possibly 
reveal the whole truth. You've got to make that a proper dilemma yeah, in order for that sort of thing to work. My immediate gut call for it, and it requires you to actually, as a storyteller, set down some of the metaphysics of how the discovery of sorcery worked. Because with the Tailing How She Has a Child thing, I imagine it's not quite as much as the call where everyone wants to go there because it's helping you get more dragons, but I mm-hmm. imagine it's something that a few dragons do still try. Yes, particularly heptagram rejects. Yeah, if it is an extremely dangerous process, and if the revelations you have mean, oh, this had nothing to do with the dragons and it probably won't even work for dragons, how many people are we just sending off to die every year? Can be a big one. Especially if at each step when you're in the shrine with your little magnifying glass and and trowel doing your archaeology or whatever, you see a couple of, of these sort of heptagram rejects slugging along. Mm-hmm. Being like, yeah, I'm going to come here. Bonus points if at some point in the journey you see a good handful of them meet quite unpleasant ends because these things aren't in pleasant places to be. And... It's that sort of thing of, there are plenty of good dragons dying for this, which is a very immaculate reason to know they need to know because immaculacy is still true even if this legend isn't. And we are losing dragons to this misconception. Yeah, you can then say, well, do you, do you tell what the consequences of telling and kind of play that side up. And one thing for that sort of a game where you've got go to place, find out thing, move on to other place. The challenges need to be distinct mm. that it's not a case of you reach a buried temple in the south and you dig around with your trowel and then you go to the east, you dig around with your trowel. Yeah, I mean, I see- there need to be different challenges for each one. I kind of see each season of this as having basically its own three-act structure, where each of them is a challenge. Because challenge one is always going to be, if you're going to the actual shrines, or what people think are the actual shrines that Heshiesh walked to, step one is getting there. Yes. Which, given how far out all of these are, other than the one that's on the Imperial Mountain, that's going to be difficult. Yeah. And then step two, once you're there, you can have, make one of them just a standard, and you found it cool, dig around with your trowel. Make another one Oh, this is a first-stage magical base structure. Of course it's got Riddles 3 or a puzzle or something you need to do. Or another one, there's a bunch of Lunas squatting here and you either have to stealth it or fight it, etc, etc. Yeah. These things are far away enough from everything realm-related that they're almost certainly going to have weird nonsense in them anyway. One of them's fallen into the wild. Yeah. There is part of me that we, with that particular story that would want to kind of insert Raxi as a possible long-term oh, yeah. antagonist somewhere, but I don't know. No, here's a better one for you. Here is a much better one for you. So, it does still come down to Raxi, but I think she has to be a twist villain. Mm-hmm. You've got your little party, and because you're doing globetrotting, you're probably going to have some people that come along with you to carry the food and all the, and all the other bits and pieces. You'll have a few NPCs that drag along with you. Not a whole caravan, because that makes it a whole different type of game, but you have a handful. Maybe someone as well that, once you get back to the cities each time, you have a regular contact who's going between the nearest bit of civilization, who's the one that runs your letters back for you and all that sort of stuff. Yep. The one who runs your letters back for you that you have as nice little NPC whenever you return and they'll be like, oh, haha, it's just it's just the guy. Like having like in a and d game where you have this, all the potion shops be run by the same guy. Yeah. Except, no, it's just Raxi wearing that. That's just one of his yes. stock faces. Those letters aren't going anywhere. She's writing the responses. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just... The only time you put it together is when one of the parties sort of reveals too much and the response is still like, oh, this is interesting, you should carry on. It's like, no, we just said something heretical. I was thought they were going to stop us. Yeah, and just drop oh, some hints no. and then it starts to unravel. <laughs> oh, that's a lovely idea. And it ends yeah. where you're at the last of the shrines that you're going to and you go in there and you just see the person that's been running your letters already in the shrine like, what? <laughs> you get your little boss fight with Raxi. Ooh. <laughs> no, this is a big enough game that you're gonna hit Essence Five by the end of it. Yeah. Which a party full of dragon bloods versus Raxi asshole. If she's not bringing an army, which she probably doesn't need to, if you take the idea of she's been trailing you behind you each time. It strikes me as a very lunar thing to do. To if you want to try do games in the same continuity after the fact and don't want your players to be able to kill Raxi. She would absolutely just, oh no, and then just wait for them to leave. And okay, if there is one exalt type that is equipped with the magic and the charms to play dead very effectively, yes, Luna's absolutely can. <laughs> but yes, after that very very specific dive into one specific type of game, we've kind of danced around the typical kind of immaculate game is these martial artist godbusters, keeping them in place that you can do and this one it depends on quite how roving you want it to be but if you go small town as well uh, you can also have it as kind of an era of mystery this is one of the things that i really like about the way that things have are not that well defined and just as a storyteller don't say oh it's a god or oh it's an elemental describe it physically when they, they encounter these beings leave room for the confusion about what something is because you could have something that's terrorizing a village and it turns out to be an elemental rather than a god or something like that and so you've got different ways of dealing with it things that you are allowed to do to an elemental that you shouldn't do to a god and the like and it's not necessarily the case of bringing the wrong tools for the job because Immaculate Martial Arts will be fairly effective on all of those. Yeah. But it's the case of if you do something wrong to the wrong type of thing without proper investigation, then there can be consequences. And so making games where you are playing Godbuster a bit more nuanced because of what the impact of what you're doing will bring about is going to be something that I think is going to make it a bit more interesting rather than just go here and beat up thing. Yeah. The, I said the other one you can do with that as well if you want to subvert it is just dealing with the fact of... You sort of mentioned the idea of like, oh, you think it's God X, but it's God Y, or it's now man or it's that. We've forgotten option three, the Scooby-Doo solution. <laughs> it's a yes. guy. It's a ruse, and you're yes. going out there being like, we will do the ritual, doing the kung fu and getting a sorcerer and all that to bring the god out of its sanctum. Absolutely nothing happens. What's going, it's on to us, it's on to us. It's actually just some guy who's doing this because it serves some purpose or another. Yeah. Although actual Scooby-Doo, I imagine, to be quite rare, <laughs> just because there's so much actual supernatural stuff out there. Uh, well, yeah, that... a bunch of kids with their talking dog would be put down for being anathema after all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> oh, i see a yeah. scooby-doo luna party this is dangerous yeah no, I... know, it has to be a mixed splat party it has to be a mixed splat party because there's the right numbers in thirds paradigm for scooby-doo the whole gang to be a different egg type of exalt 
<laughs> yeah, I did think about Scooby Gang as the thing you could do for this, but I don't think that a true Immaculate Party is quite the right feel for a Scooby no. Gang. Yeah, so. yeah, no, they absolutely aren't. I, I'm seeing the archetypical Scooby Gang as it has to be mixed splat, it has to be multi-exalt, and if you want to go around just solving mysteries when you've got that kind of powerhouse, I mean, you can. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to stop you. No, uh, true. But, oh dear. It's, yeah. yeah, no, it's wonderful. The other thing you can sort of go for is, and we've mentioned this, it was the Spectre Haunting the Lore episode. You can do the Wild Hunt. We've mentioned how to do a Wild Hunt game about, about 15 times with the different houses, because everyone likes doing the Wild Hunt. So what we'll do here is the interesting one. Because the Wild Hunt is a big old organisation with a bunch of different branches to it, some of which the other houses don't care about that much. Yes. Like the intel gathering side. <laughs> you can be a bunch of sort of religious magistrates, for use of a better term, wandering around the place, and not even religious magistrates, I don't want to say religious beat cops, going <laughs> around, looking around, trying to be like, is that supernatural? Is that just bad luck? Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> it's the sort of thing of looking for traces of anathema so that you can report it into the wild hunt. Yes, and then you sort of have to kind of go back and have other things done. It's a way to make the world hunt something more than just something for your combat party. Because they do send out those preliminary investigators. And if you're feeling really sadistic, it can be the route for a mortals game. Because they will use mortals as initial fact checkers. So you can have mortals go and check out rumours of an anathema and find out that they are more than rumours because anything else is a boring game, frankly. Unless you just want the threat of mundane existence, but that's not what Exalted's for. And so you then have mortals scraping around trying to do their sort of Rogue One mission of get word back to the Order about what this is before they all die. Then you can potentially play the actual Wild Hunt sent after the Anathema as sort of your second act. Yeah. Or, should be really sadistic with your mortals game, just to make everyone's life even worse. You get your investigators, getting them sicked on it as Act Two, all of these things. Poor little Jimmy the mortal. Poor little Jim, your party member or your entire party, doing your investigation. You proc the bad anathema. They hit poor Jim. Poor Jim got up. <laughs> yeah. You get turned into worse anathema. (laughs) (laughs) And it becomes the game of, because you are still probably going to be very, very immaculate at this point, Mm -hmm. of still be like, yes, direct the wild hunt and trying to hide A, that you've exalted, and B, what you've exalted into. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which, yeah, it all depends on, well, how how much you want to kind of split the party and just have interplayer drama. You can go with the contrivance and let them all get killed and all get picked by a Death Lord who just thinks it... Let's be Walker, the only Death Lord who would see four humans dying while waiting to sick a wild heart on someone and go, you know what, would be real funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could work. It's, it is it's a bit contrived, it but... It's a little bit contrived, and it requires you to have a Death Lord with a sense of humour, but that's what Walker in Darkness is there for. <laughs> yes, and if you can get four... Uh, relatively high up for mortals, immaculates, 
that know something about how the order works or know how the wild hunt works as well then they're possibly valuable as an intelligence asset for a while not even necessarily just for a while if mm. given that most of your are early abyssals as third has seemed to put it are people who were already solars we get a very very small minority of the new abyssals are mortal died and got chosen yes because a lot of the ones we're getting now are solar gym gets put in a monstrance or things yep. like this so given how solars work even if they're not actively in the wild hunt given how big it is given how monolithic the wild hunt is and how slow it will be to change even once they get found out and kicked out they still know how it operates yes. which is more than we had before it's mm. the sort of case of no no those like four mortals that are snooping around ice them that's the reporting mechanism and there is also the question of uh if you are going to play around with exaltation of mortals in the wild hunt because the wild hunt is so strapped for cash <laughs> at this point do we keep it do, do we, we just... keep it <laughs> what I mean, happens yeah. we know this person we know they're good we know and now they can do a lot more are yeah. they actually going to <laughs> I mean, that that one works probably best with like an exigent or one of the not always necessarily anathema. Yes. Or when we get rules for them, I think the golden one for it is probably <sighs> my gut keeps saying infernals, and I'll tell you why. Not because of anything that infernals actually are, because hmm. when you read the lore about how infernals actually are, and what third wants to do to them as well is a bit weird, but makes them more palatable, but not quite as good. Mm. No, it's how the realm sees demons. Yes. Because if they identify what you're doing as demon juice, and if you tell them what I'm doing is demon juice, yes, that doesn't carry the moral condemnation so long as you are being wielded by the righteous sort of thing. Yes. That's the one where I think you can get the real active debate of Infernal Bill can... He took on that Dawncast one-on-one. Yeah, he's not exactly human anymore, but like... Ragara Bob over there summons blood apes for most of his fights. How is this any different? Plus, there is the interesting notion of kind of, at least from what I can tell from third edition's um, infernal thematics so far, and this is all potentially subject to change because there's been a developer change in third edition and quite how much essence and third are going to link up thematically with the exalts, it's still not clear. But the idea of a chained infernal a bound infernal that is doing something else's bidding. I mean, that strikes me as a, a serious recipe for infernal limit break, for one thing. And just, it goes so against the infernal's rockstar rebels of hell kind of idea. Yeah. It's kind of so antithetical that it just might work. <laughs> and I mean, the, the flip side as well, even if you don't want to do that, because uh, when we get to our Malpheus episode, <laughs> you'll hear my issues with what, what Third's done for infernal's. But... Second edition was a very, very different beast for how, mm. what Infernals were. Even if you go with those, where it's kind of they're the Yosi's breakout plan argument, even then, as long as your players like haven't gone and made an Infernal of one of the really nutty ones, the only driver that they tend to get comes via the sort of coadjutors and the urges, which don't necessarily direct their impulses so it's the sort of thing of you get your one who is exalted by malpheus um destroyers i think they were called they had cast names and i'm very bad at remembering them because i just remember the patrons their urge is to break stuff and fight stuff 
It doesn't have to be dragons. If you're with the wild hunt, breaking stuff and fighting stuff is what you do. <laughs> it is the direction that you can put it. And again, you get one for the Ebon Dragon, who likes doom and, and, and ruining things. Oh yeah, we heard there's a Twilight over there who's been planning something for three centuries. <laughs> and yeah. to get in the way. It's that sort of thing of... <laughs> Second edition basically had them be very, very impulse-driven rather than sort of Rockstar Rebel thing. And you can direct that impulse in a what what the human still in there ultimately will think is a constructive way. I might be a monster, but I can be a good monster. <laughs> and it's that sort of thing. That's nice. But that's yeah. completely off off of off of the entirely order. we've meandered me off me immaculate order but um, that's just a lot of food for thought and the it's kind of how far can you push the immaculate heresy envelope is i think the question there which is a, again a broader game question the idea of well what counts as a heresy and how much of a problem is it is something you can kind of bring up when you are just a party of immaculates kind of wandering into the threshold uh, or uncovering some particular form of worship that people are keeping secret for reasons that it might just be a mystery cult because mystery cults are a thing but it might be that there's something else behind it so you can have those questions of how far is too far and how far does it get before you get to the hundred gods heresy yeah Um, of course the other thing there with the heresy of course is find some of the heresies that we were given in the books and have fun fighting them <laughs> as much as part of me is like oh yes look you could do interesting things we're talking about the theological disputation here i don't think there's much of a leg to stand on with the pure way <laughs> no <laughs> it's, it's sort of thing of we wanted to be gods <laughs> it's very comfortable to be gods yes but then again the realm is not going to invade prasad no but it's the sort of thing of if you are the wandering little um, immaculate party going around looking into funny heresies and stuff you're almost obligated to bump into the pure way at least once or th- the sisterhood of pearls which has a bit more of a measure because it's immaculate protestantism and that's actually kind of going into something a bit broader i think we've talked a bit about the interface between the order and the realm but trying to kind of make the case that something is a heresy or is not a heresy and should or should not be invaded directly by an army that professes immaculacy could be quite an interesting politics game and quite of how far those sorts of negotiations go. The disputation of Kamthahar. Yeah, but I think that immaculate politics as well is a different flavour to realm politics. And I think this goes as well for the investigation games that... Uncovering folks' dirty little secret is still part and parcel of it, but the Immaculate Investigations is looking more into sort of personal motivations and personal things and so on in a way that looking for secrets that are politically useful is not going to do the same thing. If you think about kind of the three types of investigation, you've got the Cessus intelligence gathering, which is going to be, can we use this to sabotage something? Is it going to be useful to our overall apparatus? You've got the Sinus investigation, which is, can we shame someone into something? And can we blackmail them? And then you've got the Immaculate investigations of, is this something wrong that they're doing? What does that mean if it is? And how can we persuade them otherwise? And those sorts of investigations are all different in certain ways. I think the Sinus and Immaculate ones have more in common than the Cessus, but there's still some differences there for the kind of things you're looking for and the kind of levers. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it's your investigational methodology that's going to be the big difference between the Immaculates and the Sinus. Because the Sinus don't actually care if what you're doing is wrong. They might even... and No, might. They will entrap you into doing something wrong just so that they can be there to see it and then tell you that they saw it. Whereas the Immaculates seem to actually care about it. But on that, I can segue into one of the other little bits I I like, because I've not put my tinfoil hat on yet this evening. There is mileage for an Immaculate game where you are low-level Immaculate Investigator sorts. You might even be heresy investigators or whatever, or your equivalent of the Immaculate Papal Police Force sort of thing. Well, Inquisitor is a rank that's granted when you've proven yourself, so this could just be folks from the breath of Dunna Ard getting into things that are beyond their pay grade. Even if you have Inquisitor, it it comes down to how high up you think you have to be before you get told about... Yeah the funny people because as i understand it with third because back in second it was a lot lower you had to be before you found out about them but the way third's putting it it seems like it's very need to know yes which means you can probably still have an inquisitor who you start seeing some like minor irregularity in a monk or an, or a temple or a monastery or whatever and you start looking into that thinking oh no some monks taking bribes or being corrupt or whatever it's something you start thinking as mundane police work Mm-hmm. And then you just slowly end up digging into the bits where things don't add up and people weren't where they said they were until you end up across the course of the game uncovering the sidereals, coming at it as outsiders thinking that they are some infiltrating force and then having the whole time, because it's all need to know and very secretive, the higher ups are saying, you should stop investigating this. What? Why? I cannot say. And it's that sort of thing of <laughs> starting to think, oh God, how deep does this go? Until yes. you hit such a point where you get someone who actually just sits you down and says, no, they've been here the whole time. This is part of the plan. And you as players who've been digging into all of the shadiness that Sidereals get up to, combined with the really, really dodgy way of record keeping about SIDS, which is the other problem here because of how Arcane Fate works, which we'll get into in our Sidereal episode. But basically, you can't trust the records either. Yes. And for the record, which you can trust, the Sidereals episode is going to be happening fairly soon. So, yes, bear that one in mind. We just need to iron out things for precisely where it lands in relation to Season 3. Yeah. But you do all of that, you get sat down, and then the players get the really nice, juicy bit bit to chew on, sort of morally, of, do we tell people? Even if we don't tell people, are we okay with this? Yeah. Because it's the sort of thing of the Immaculate Immaculates tend to keep to their own rules. The SIDS don't keep to Immaculate rules. For them, it is a front. They're yes. just a convenient place to hide out and base. Yeah, unless you're Sad Ivory. Unless you're Sad Ivory. You could even <laughs> find her. That could be the fun one. That could be yeah. to make your moral chewing even worse of the case of, look at what they did to this poor woman. Look at what yes. they did. And it's... <laughs> It's, it's the case of, yeah, you can have your final bit, uh, the, the way the players decide to lean, determining whether Sad Ivory stays loyal or not. <laughs> yes, she could kind of be the kind of the end result of the campaign and the thing that you're arguing over and not necessarily arguing over, but just making her go one way or the other, depending on the results That's of it. what the players do. That's where your investigation sort of yeah. leads you in the latter day bits is you've discovered that those shady infiltrators that you still don't know much about, they're hunting someone down, some regular old immaculate monk. They're trying to take her back in basically for debriefing. Yes. And because they're not sure where her loyalties are going to go after this, because as we mentioned, she's gone a bit tense now. 
Yes. And it's because of you trying to race the bureau to this poor woman. And then <laughs> having the sort of discussion. And that's where you get your clean everything is revealed bit. Because even if she still has some charity for them, she's not going to have enough charity to not tell Immaculates who've been investigating for this so long what's going on when they've come in and said, help, you're being hunted down, come on. <laughs> yeah, for that specific one, I would say that she probably needs some gold faction friends because having dragon bloodeds who don't really know what they're doing trying to square off against the Bureau... No, uh, easy, easy oh. solution for why that works. It's the Bureau. It's not one Sid trying to bring her in. It's a bunch. Aha! Uh-huh. The Sidereal Great Curse, ladies and gentlemen, has a problem. Uh, the more Sids work on a problem, the more fate conspires to cause issues for them. And so it's the sort of thing of... They've sent a bunch of people here because they're thinking, oh, we could have a rogue, we could have a rogue, that's not good. But they've sent too many and the Great Curse has gone off. Yeah. And so it's just that weirdly inconvenient bit of she gets on a on a boat going down river at just the wrong moment when the party are on it. And it's all of those little running a red light at the wrong moment sort of things. Yeah. There's, get in there, there's lots get in of there coincidences way. here and there. What I don't want is for the players to have to actually fight a sidereal. That's never a good thing to do no. as dragons. And so it's the case of they should feel like these shadowy manipulator sorts that ideally you can't even identify. You know yes. they're there, but you don't know that, that it's him. And it's only at the end where you might see something that you can actually identify as Sid. But by then it's... Yeah, although I should say, actually, that's... You're, you're remembering the... Um... Uh, you're you're remembering the um, older version of the Great Curse. In third, that's does that's not quite how it works. It's that Aww. they are betrayed by their foresight and wisdom in the in the worst possible timing. Is the Great Curse for Sidereals okay. at the moment? It's not co- that collaboration is the bad thing. So you could have the actual fate is conspiring to be on their side. That. You have a few choice moments where things go wrong for Sidereal Dastardly. Plan C, of course, is... and the one I, I've discussed this with some of my players before, and when we do our Sidereal episode, which is also going to be very close to our Yushan episode, yes. uh, we will... If not the same thing, but we'll yeah, see. We'll, we'll get into this. The Maidens don't necessarily get along with their subordinates, and they don't necessarily tell them everything. It could very much be the case that one of the Maidens has basically decided... No, we still need Sad Ivory. Bringing her in is going to alienate her more. Yes. <laughs> so it's the case of the Bureau can send its people. They can do whatever they like. They'll open the wrong door, get held up by a merchant trying to sell them trout and all of the other little inconveniences because Mercury has decided, no, you don't get to go there today. <laughs> it's that yeah. sort of thing of and that's the bit that the players never sort of know because your dragon's looking at this from the ground floor. But then yeah. after the fact the... your players are like, that was oddly convenient. The only yes, danger the with point. that is that you will wind up with it feeling like Deus Ex Machina. Yes, that's mm. what it is, but how just making that sort of thing narratively satisfying, I yeah, think, plan... is the key. Plan C, then you have it at the end when you've talked down um, Sad Ivory and if you've talked her into loyalty as your epilogue, and it doesn't have to actually go anywhere, it can just be the happily ever after for the players sorts of things. Mm-hmm. A job promotion <laughs> of getting to be some Heaven's Dragons out the, out the end of it. So mm. they actually get told and sat down of, thank you, you saved this one, this is important to Destiny in ways that 
you little dragons would never understand sort of thing but or you can be specific and go into write a big timeline of why she's important but it's up to you on how vague and mysterious you want the sids to be but it's the case of yes you had some help looks knowingly over at the jade pleasure dome and here you go you've proven yourselves as apt investigators and given all you've discovered about the bureau we basically have to offer you a job otherwise <laughs> yeah it's kind of much. almost the men in black sort of scenario yeah and then if the players want to come back to those characters suddenly mm. you get coming at it from the top down thing and it's a heaven's dragons game which will cover in yushan yes well we've already covered them a bit in the dragon blooded episode but uh yeah there's heaven's a lot dragons they are an interesting bunch other things that you can wind up doing is i would also look to potential games based on the thematics of the breaths um in some ways that you can do things like arranging for the expansion of the order in some ways and seeing well what do you need to negotiate in order to get more temples built what does that mean for the politics of the region i mean quite a few of these will be quite political because the breaths are the well the impact of the breaths is more political than anything else that's where the interesting stuff is or you could have things like being involved with construction and manses and so on for the Breath of Passiap, which gives you room to say, well, can we renovate this particular manse as something for the Immaculate Order, which will give you things like dungeon crawling as just an episodic aside, maybe. One of the ones that sort of fascinated me was the idea of what you do for disaster relief, because mm. that sort of a game is not something you kind of see very often, the kind of the post-apocalyptic trying to pull everything back together after something that you cannot help has happened and trying to rebuild a community afterwards it would be very very interpersonal play but that works yeah. with either the breath of Danaard or the breath of sextus gilus and having that sort of thing and potentially there is that line of investigation of was there a god behind it was something else happening to investigate afterwards once you've got the line held and people back to normal but the focus on the community there um, has the potential to have a bit more of a touchy-feely side to the order as well. I mean, that will depend on how much your players are willing to sit and chat with NPCs. Uh, Mm. But if you have that type of player, then that sort of game is something you can absolutely do. So, now I think we do get to go on to the NPCs. Yes. In Uh. the extremely tangent-filled Immaculate Orcs <laughs> as it is becoming. <laughs> it's almost like this is a big creation-spanning thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who'd have thought? But yeah, so in terms of NPCs you can go for, the sort of default one that I like to go with with my Immaculate Monks, mostly because my players don't tend to play Immaculate Monks, make them Uncle Hero. Make them your mentor figure. Make them the, the nice old man or nice old woman that you can come to for sage advice about things. <laughs> over a cup of tea mm. and they'll crack off some nice little prosaic wisdom uh, <laughs> when you ask them questions sort of thing yes because they absolutely sort of fit into that role as well because they're seen as fonts of wisdom so that can also just be not exactly a plot slot machine but a hint machine if you can get the immaculate monks involved with whatever plot you're running then you can have them as a little bit as a sort of a taskmaster or someone who just has musings about certain people and because the immaculate order has the ability to gather intel on a whole bunch of folk and legitimately so 
they will have that kind of information available. And if it pertains to an immaculate behavior or a behavior that an immaculate would deem inappropriate, then it's going to be flagged that much more. You'll have to be quite delicate with what type of information that that sort of thing would pass through. But for someone who's kind of the older mentor figure to have, oh, I've heard about them, they're not much good or whatever, or or I've heard they're particularly partial to X thing, to kind of drop them a gift to give your social influence a bit of a boost. They can fill in colour and be something that's a supporting role in quite interesting ways if you've got the kind of characters that are going to listen to Immaculate Monks, which, depending on your player group, I mean, from my experience and from what I've seen of actual plays, it's actually quite hard to find folks that would actually pay that much attention to the Immaculate Order because religion tends to get discarded, but mm, that might just be my experience speaking too much. No, I get that as well. The only time I've had players that actually do sort of lean into it is when they built the whole character around it. Because it's, again, it's the... In my last game, the only character I had that ever paid any heed to the Immaculates was basically the Aselsi, mm-hmm. <laughs> who was paying heed because they were also smuggling her her instructions. <laughs> yes, absolutely had reason to. Because it's the sort of thing of just the brief little tangent for something I don't think I mentioned in the Aselsi episode, but I love as a physical motif for it. We sort of do it with encoded messages in the prayer beads. So the monks who are handing it don't even know that they're handing it. They've just been sent a pack being like, yes, we're her parents from the aisle, please give her these when she's out there and then it's the sort of thing if it's a keto knot sort of style thing of you can get messaging out of the beads as a fun little bit but yeah the nice. other thing you can go for with them if you are having your players be the realm in its more classical manifestation or if you're doing a bureaucracy game I don't want to just say you can have the Immaculates be a problem, but (laughs) you can have the Immaculates be a problem. (laughs) But you can have the Immaculates be a thing with a specific set of goals and beliefs in any given situation, which the players can align themselves to or not as they see fit. It's a case of saying, right, this is your scenario. This is what the Immaculate Order is trying to achieve. Do the players go along with that or not? And leave that down to them. That, That makes the Immaculate Order not necessarily a doorstop, but a force of institutional inertia or steering force that you have to either bend with or fight against. Yeah. And that's sort of how you do that. You make them have their own goals that are related to or in concert with a particular path that the players will take. And if they take that path, they'll get help. If they don't, then they won't and then certain things will get closed to them Mm. as a result so and having them sort of in the background one other angle for them is having them as informers that because the immaculate order is essentially a large part of it is an information gathering network if the players are up to something dodgy then letting immaculate monks know about that sort of stuff is generally a bad idea so you can apply the similar sort of pressure by saying well what do the monks and the immaculate staff that the player characters have interacted with know about a situation make sure that you're aware of what npcs are connected to the order and how far things will get relayed back and what that means for general attitudes if you've got someone who is particularly in contact with the Immaculate Order, like having an Amon Satrap is probably the stereotypical example of this. Mm. And they're trying to 
persuade the Nemon Satrap to do something while doing stuff that is quite counter to the Immaculate Order, then they start out being quite friendly, and then when word gets back from the Order that the Order doesn't like this, the Satrap suddenly realises, oh, I don't want to be associated with these people, and then becomes a bit less friendly. You will have to breadcrumb this as to, and give them ways to find out why this sudden change in behaviour has happened, but that's generally things like social influence roles and read intentions roles will should be able to give you that sort of information or at least point you in that direction of i really like this guy but i can't associate with them or give them what they want because of something else will at least push them in that direction just having those sorts of cues to investigate what the impact the order is having on what they're trying to do is one way of doing it yeah as you can also have them if you are running a, I don't want to say standard exalted game, but given what they want the soldiers to be, it is. If you're running your celestial sort of game, suddenly they stop being this interesting, nuanced information gathering thing that's built around a genuine faith that they come about, and they become the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> they will not stop. There will be no mercy. They do not grow tired. They do not need to eat, to breathe, to sleep. They are coming for you and you will be burned. Yeah. Is, there's dragon body charms to make every word of that true. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. Yeah. That's one of the things where a two-dimensional villain could actually be quite fun. But the problem is you then need to contrive ways for them not to die in the first encounter. That you need to bring overwhelming force with some notable faces is how I would do that. That you have characters that will stand out for certain features or behaviours in the first combat that is sort of in your classic hero's journey thing of the first encounter with the opponent that the hero loses and flees and has to regroup for. Here's one for you that actually combines the two halves of it to make a dangerous thing called a three-dimensional villain. Whoa. This all sprung because while we were just talking there, the little voice in the back of my head just started yelling, Frollo. Yeah, have the corrupt one. Be your implacable, you will burn, you are awful star villain. <laughs> He's not the good immaculate sort of thing. It allows, if you are a social flavoured one, for option B of dealing with him, if you can't fight him because he's always bringing a small army of goons with him, just let slip some of the other bits. And it's the thing if you get the... I mean, I'm sure the realm and the immaculate order will like to pretend this never happens, but you get the monk that is very, very bad at being a monk because they are very, very morally suspect who's basically gone to the wild hunt because there they overlook a lot of the improprieties if you're really good at killing things. Yes, and they're more likely to do so in the current climate for yeah. as far as the realm is concerned. But it's the so... case of basically trying to slip... I don't know, if you're a lunar, shape-shifting into like a normal person and slipping up to the abbot of the local and be like, yes, I saw, I saw... Ragara Frollo, I don't know why he's a Ragara. My my hatred for has sustained me to mean that all bad people must be Ragaras. <laughs> I saw Ragara Frollo burning a small village because he thought an anathema had been through it, and that sort of thing. You do still have to make him really hammy and evil for this to work, but <laughs> I, I think most players, especially again from the sort of cultures that we're coming from, they will see a very, very DSERA fire and fury sort of religious enemy and they'll be on board with it and they will be yeah this is a trope 
that we can play into when it's the antagonist because it's a fun one to go off on. <laughs> yeah, go full Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, and especially when the way that you're taking them down is not by just smacking him in the face, but by getting basically his authority stripped out from him. Yeah. Because well, the Immaculates th- find what he's doing to be too excessive, to be too horrible, that he is not living up to what it means to be a dragon. He's just living up to what it means to be a weapon. Yes, although it feels to me that that sort of thing would only really work for a Lunas game, mm. just because they are much more inclined towards that sort of more subterfuge way of operating. Oh, yeah. Because Solas. Nightcasts could, yeah. But Nightcasts could also potentially sneak into his chambers and night and kill him. Yeah, so. that's true. But again, the Lunas could as well. It requires a certain degree of, pe- of player buy in. Yeah. But- this is the problem. Most of the games I suggest, I suggest around the sort of normal playgroup that I have, where because they're newer to Exalted, they still, we've mentioned this a couple of times, players struggle with the power level conception of Exalted. Yes. We mentioned this in the interview that we did with the two Steves, where a lot of players who go into Exalted don't appreciate how powerful they actually are and will run away from things that they don't need to run away from and all of these other things. Yeah, but running My away is a good thing. to buy into that. Yeah, that but, is a good thing. But then again, like this one, not going right in and trying to kill him is a good thing for the story. Yeah. And it's the thing of my normal playgroup is still sort of new enough to Exalted that they won't immediately clock, oh yeah, that's an option that I can get away with and survive. They'll think, oh, this is too dangerous. Yeah, that's true. If you, if you can get that kind of thought process going into the players' heads, Or even then if they're consciously work. doing it and being like, yeah, we're not taking the swing. Because again, yeah. if you have players that know what we're going in for here is basically... For use of a better term, a social game on the run. Yes. Is how that will manifest. But it's the sort of thing of, yeah, it will look like a combat heavy game. That's not how you win the war. No. In terms of other characters that you can kind of sling out there for Immaculate Order things, Wandering Priests can serve a lot of functions just because they can kind of nip in and nip and just be new elements to a thing and just bring new perspectives or be a catalyst for change and that sort of thing. Or conversely, they can be the one that's come back for their 50th circuit of this particular place. Everyone knows who they are and they sort of help establish the setting and that sort of thing. I did have some other thoughts about where to go with that, but you also have, with Wandering Priests, if they are new to the players, but not new to everyone else, you have some information asymmetry you can play with that the NPCs will act in a particular way towards them, but the players won't know what on earth's going on, and so they could be anything. Kind of playing up that sort of an angle. Particularly if you are playing a game where there is some degree of subterfuge involved. If you're playing quite a direct game, they don't really work as well because the thing of they could be anything isn't the kind of subtlety you want. Yeah. The other one, of course, just to put my tinfoil hat back on, (laughs) you can have the monk that isn't a monk. You can have the monk that is actually Special Agent Jimmy Sid. I think the big thing when you're doing the undercover Sid is unless you're doing a sad ivory situation where it was an immaculate that the maidens chose because one of them was feeling extra funny that day, as much as they made it now that, oh yeah, look, immaculacy is a real sort of religion that can go for it, the undercover Sids don't. They'll pay lip service, and they'll pay lip service well. Sids are good at that, but that's where it ends. They don't actually care about the immaculate rules. They are here for the job, whatever the job is. And they are basically wearing the monk robes and doing the rituals because that's good cover. 
Yes, and that, that holds pretty much regardless of what kind of sidereal you're playing, because they make decent antagonists, because they are kind of going to function by an ends justifies the means kind of process, potentially, that will again slot into that sort of implacable kind of mould, with more tools in their toolbox, unless their superiors think they've done something wrong and disrupted destiny by what they've done. But you also have that for... If you are engaging in a game with, with Solars, the idea of the gold faction as well, that you can have sort of the feeling out of, well, what are you? Are you friend? Are you foe? And how do we tell? Do we the trust you? Yeah, the bit where the wild hunt's chasing down and you're hidden behind the tree and that monk looks you dead in the eyes and then doesn't tell anyone that he's seen you and you, they all keep going. <laughs> well, that's a bit of a giveaway, but yes. No. I don't know that it is when you're, if, especially if you have players that don't know much about the gold faction. True. That starts raising alarm bells and questions of what the hell was that? No, no, no. He saw me. Why didn't he call that? What? Yes. Especially if you sort of have characters whose very much is immaculate, hate solas, and that's where the sort of conception ends. It's yeah. the question of why would an immaculate monk in all the uniform and regalia let me get away? Mm-hmm. And it's a bonus point if then it takes another few sessions before you actually bump into him again to actually get the thing conversation going. It's just yes. that sort of thing gnawing at the back of your head of <laughs> what was that? What was yeah, that? for that sort of thing, you want to have things happening that the players don't understand why. And there's the idea of, is it because of what that character did? Are they behind it? And just play up that paranoia a bit. Which Bonus point it's always well. good fun. It's, it's a Sid with sidereal martial arts. Even when it comes down to things like the weather, it's not guaranteed that he wasn't involved. Yeah, but getting players who don't know much about the sidereals to do to do that and to think it's, that way. I think it I think it comes with again, it's I know you said it was a bit obvious when he looks you dead in the eyes and that and goes, but I think you have to go for something like that of the like let's say you're on a boat chase down a river or something like that. Don't ask why boat chase came to mind as the first thing. But you're on a boat chase down the river and yeah. the one full of dragons hits a rock that just manages to tear it and it starts going down. And as you're there, just managing to get away real quick, you look back and there's the monk on there just sort of mm-hmm. hopping off to go up to the shore who again looks at you and he's like, <laughs> as the boat's going down and the players, again, I think it almost works best if they keep by contrivance of fate, not actually getting to sit down and talk to this monk in a time that isn't crisis. <laughs> yes. So it's just a case of, after all these things happen, he looks at us and seems slightly pleased or whatever. He's like, is he doing this? And each time he gets, <laughs> it's like, no, how could he make a boat hit a rock? <laughs> and it's these sorts of things where the players are going to sit there and be like, well, he must have. He was nodding and smiling. And it's the bonus part. Well, of course, if in a good number of those, he isn't, but he did know it was going to happen. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> they might not have the influence, but they do have the foresight. Yes, that's true. Uh, and I don't know if you quite how obvious you want to make it, but if he just happens to be doing Tai Chi on the riverside at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's those sorts of things. It's the, I think the goal with the undercover monk who is your friend is that the players don't actually get to sit down and talk to him until really quite far in. He no. has to be this vague, yeah. mysterious force of, what? How's this working? And it has to be enough times that the players have seen him and they're like, when this guy's in the party chasing us, we never get caught and before I think you it's, let them encounter it. It's possibly also worth building some orthogonal motivations, if you like, uh, that the sidereal that's on the side of the Celestials isn't going to 
always support them, but will support them in certain situations because of what the Order is doing and what the Realm is doing. Or, or even better than that, wants them alive. Yeah. But he's taking a very long view with that, which means that sometimes if they're heading towards something he thinks is too dangerous, he's not going to stop the Wild Hunt from going from them because it will drive them away. Because again, it's it, we'll get to this in the Sid episode, but the one thing that is inescapable in a sidereal is that you are a manipulator. Yes. That's how they all kind of operate. But yeah. I think with that, we, we get need to, to get to the... Thing. Yeah, we get onto the maker thing, which again let's changed... Let's talk about drugs. The... Yes, let's talk about <laughs> drugs, kids. Right, Great Forks is my baby, and it will be yes. covered soon. It will be covered in our next season, which is going to be covering the scavenger lands in great depth. What you need to know for going in with our maker thing here is it is a city by the gods, for the gods, and of the gods. It is run by gods. Gods are absolutely everywhere. We mentioned earlier, there are literally like roving feral gods that go in the street and will hold you at knife point to get you to pray to them so that they can get <laughs> some of that good worship. That's the level of place yes. we are in Great Forks. And we mentioned the idea of an immaculate fitting in there as a sort of kingpin, for use of a better point, as a worship pusher. <laughs> yeah. There's mileage to this. Yes, there is. You want it's... to play an immaculate party that are Great Forks crime lords. <laughs> I don't know whether you necessarily want to do it the full Breaking Bad arc, because you need to explain why they're in there. Why are they in there, first of all? Because having immaculates in Great Forks is an interesting contrivance. Again, third might, third's probably changed that by now. In, th- in second, there were some there, they just weren't running the show. Yeah. Because the three basically liked anything that was generating belief. Yes. Okay, so they were happy for it to sort of carry on. And, and, no, and just to carry be... on, it's just they didn't let yeah. them enforce the prayer calendar. <laughs> yeah, it's just you don't want them particularly getting in the way of unrestrained worship because that's yeah. what Grey Forks wants. So you can potentially have them be people who just try and... You could almost have kind of the first act be go in there and establish the Immaculate Order or try to establish some form of Immaculate Faith and have them absolutely kicked to the curb. And Ooh, Actually, I raised you how we do this. Yep. And it's... Storyteller's choice as to whether or not you want one section of your players to be the new guys coming in, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and one guy to be the old one that was already there, or whether you want that old one to be an NPC. Yep. But you have your, your new Immaculates coming in. From the realm instead of look shy, that's, yes. that I think is the important distinction, so that you can again have the whole two worlds thing that I'm about to be talking about. Yep. Coming in from the realm instead of look shy, being like, yeah, we're going to bring the faith and everything's going to be great and wonderful. And then there is that one Immaculate Monk that was the one that was already there, who's of the Luxion tradition, so your beliefs are the same, it's just they don't tend to answer the same bosses. Yep. Knows how the deal is here. Yes. Okay, no prayer calendar working here. And it's basically, like you mentioned Breaking Bad earlier, that's a very easy way to sort of go in for this, of, <laughs> yeah, we can do this! And it's the old guy who's already there, be like, you're bringing in all of this realm money, that's great. Yep. You're bringing in your little party of pilgrims who are going to be your first lay people, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work. No. If you want to get the gods here in line, you got to give them what they want. What they want yes. is worship. And <laughs> the case of, you basically, because players are players, you don't have to have the old guy be holding their hand the whole way. You basically have to get him to such a point that he can show them that the criminal option is an option. Yes. And I think players from that point will run with it. 
<laughs> yeah, or and operating up the feral gods and, and operate operating under the radar is kind of how it has to go yeah. because the immaculate's faith in whatever shape it happens in Great Forks is stigmatized and yeah. discouraged. And like immaculate temples yeah. get get taxed excessively, that sort of thing. Not just that. The other thing, even though you're a party of dragons, Great Forks is the one place where you actually do have to worry about local law enforcement. Yes, because. The law enforcement here isn't humans. <laughs> and they're going to want you to di- kind of disincentivize you being around. So they will be terminating you with prejudice. So having kind of an early run-in with the law as something to yeah. kind of try and discourage you and would it's... be interesting. It's a thing of then, obviously, yeah, you have to pick up all these feral gods because when the funny godblood police start turning up, you have your own gods that will stand outside the door and be like, no, officer, we're not letting you in here. And it's that sort of thing of you basically build up this criminal empire of all of the little gods that can't get much temple or they don't have the money to go to the Temple of the Reverend Whisper, which is basically where gods get to go and pay a very pretty dragon-blooded lady to give them whatever worship they desire. Well, not exactly necessarily even a lady, they... but yes. Yeah. It well, is, the person it who is... runs it is a lady, and so I assume yes. the money goes to her. It is the worship equivalent of a brothel, but yes. It's exactly as seedy as it sounds. But if you can't go there, you can't go there. Then you have your little people who, yeah, we brought with us a small little gang of guys. We're very good at organizing worship so that everyone gets to bite. And yes. you basically become the sort of pushers of worship with your little gang of pilgrims that you might be able to slowly grow if your players want to push it in that direction of get more mortals on board. Yes. Because there, in Great Forks, what you can sell to the mortals is actually quite unique of, mm. no, we get to be on top of them. Yes, and you can go with the underclass and potentially even, if you want to get the whole span of the perfected hierarchy going, buy up slaves. And what you eventually end up, it it would depend on what you would need to do. You need to establish your core of mortal worshippers. And then it's a question of which gods you approach for worship and what the gods can give you in exchange. Like going after the kind of the packs of gods roving the streets will probably get you enough muscle to protect your worshippers, but it won't get you much more. So you need to plan out what each kind of god that you're going to expose yourselves to and expose the party to will get them. Arrange for either expeditions or approaches in certain seedy situations where the gods are like, hmm, I hear you got some drops of prayer. Could I just slip me some under the counter, you know? And... Yeah, and it's the bit of, you can do the immaculate information gathering bit as well. Yeah. Of, you can even get your mortal worshippers to go for it as well. Where Fan out, and then when you get your information of, I heard thingy over there, the, the uh, god of street sweepers has come down on a bit of rough times. And then you get your social person to come in there. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that sort of thing. If you are absolutely running a criminal empire. Yes. And you get your run-ins with the law. And it's the most part, if you, you can go full criminal empire style thing of you start actually bouncing off the police a lot and eventually you get big enough that you start bouncing off the ministries yes <laughs> and it's the case of you eventually become a part of the city they have to deal with <laughs> rather than a thing to get rid of 
yeah, it's a case of just kind of establishing the sort of the time frames as well because worship takes time to work so i would imagine that it would almost be sort of a vignette and kind of use either the projects framework for exalted or the ventures framework from essence to just establish right you need to work towards this particular objective and this particular way of doing yeah. things i might also crib some stuff from Blades in the Dark, just as a framework at the back, just to say, well, right, you've got X amount of influence over this particular portion of the city, these particular portions of worshippers, and you can spend that to get whatever yeah. resource you can get from your deities that you are manipulating, sort of thing. And it's the case of as well, sort of, you have your sway of antagonists. Early days, it's it's the police force. Mid mid range, you're probably actually going to be bouncing off the Temple of the Reverend Whisper a lot because they're going to see you muscling in on what would have been... Yeah, I would also imagine that you would get attacks from kind of any sort of feral gods, homeless gods, who would want something of their own. So yeah. they're going to be a present threat as well. Yeah. The thing with them is I see them as an early game yeah. problem because it'll eventually get to the point where you establish yourselves, maybe even with some classic immaculate punching a god in the face action, yes. you establish yourself as the kingpin here of yes. you can have the amount of worship that I give you or none is is the deal <laughs> i have altered the deal pray that i do not alter it any, any further, further. <laughs> it's that sort of thing you establish there with your feral gods so you set it up of you can try but and especially yeah. if you make sure that no all these mortals they don't answer to you they answer to me <laughs> <laughs> yes and just teasing out what the benefits are for the different gods as well is going to be yeah. one of the key things it's a perfect opportunity to just kind of invent some particularly unique gods with kind of ways around great forks and bits and pieces of infrastructure that yeah. you can sort of just inflict the immaculate philosophy on and this how that interacts with the mechanisms mm. of great forks would just be a fascinating idea yeah and then sort of mid-game you get to bounce off some of the bigger gods not the government who they still haven't noticed you yet but you bounce off the temple of the reverend whisper uh, some of the gods who, one of the things that Second Edition had happen in Great Forks a lot was bigger gods will take in little gods into their temple because you get a lot of worship just for being there in exchange for goods and services and stuff like that. And so it's the case of people start to notice you because you've basically taken the bottom out of Great Forks's class system and brought it <laughs> into you. And then once you get big enough, you start bouncing off the ministries. We're like, I'm sorry, when did this happen? <laughs> Yes, and you probably will have, through all of that, the law enforcement side, which are just actively just trying to break you up with extreme prejudice. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's the good thing of once you hit that sort of third tier where the ministries are noticing you, that's the bit where you can get kind of spicy because of one of the other fun things about how Great Forks works, of your players start getting menacing dreams. Hmm. One yes. of the three is a dream god who, yes. if they want to tell you something... They do it while you're sleeping. Yes, but you've also got the kind of the interesting workaround of do you go legit is one of the other questions. Do you sign on with the Ministry of Worship and get yourself officially set up as a temple? Yes, because you then have to deal with the bureaucracy side and the additional taxes for being um, of the Immaculate Faith and so on. Or do you just Try carry on as an underground of... thing? trying to lobby your way out of the extra immaculate tax yes and you can just kind of get to being a proper political player it's the bonus point of your old guy npc who probably by this point will have faded out of the game a little bit because he's an yes. early game mental figure once you're trying to go legit he's the one that does some of the early lobbying trying to convince them we're not really immaculate look at all the stuff we've done and all the players being like 
Oh god, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and another thing that you'll possibly need is ways to get more dragon blooded because early on in the game when you're kind of in a just a two-story thing and you are just on a street corner somewhere, then you don't need that much in the way of sort of security and so on so you've got to find ways of getting more infrastructure and more potential more and more people who are willing to support your cause as you expand it's not impossible but it comes with a caveat because the realm is a lot more accessible than you think you don't have to go all the way past Luxhite. Grey Falls is up there. That's true. And they do other issue you do in theory have trade agreements to go all the way up and down the Yanaze. Yep. So. Not just that, though. Great Forks does get quite regular visits from dragons from the realm. The issue is which dragons from the realm? Yes. It's how Sinus, it's only how Sinus care about going there, because it's mm. the drug capital of the East. And so it's the case of, you can pick up a load of Sinuses, but I mean, if you were worried about being murky before... <laughs> yes. And it's going to stop being the case of worship as an analogy for drug running, and you're just going to actually start drug running. <laughs> yeah you've got to kind of do the proper empire building kind of thing almost and Mm. think about what sort of flavor of dragon blood you want to get on board what benefits does each sort of great house give you do you actually request formal support from the order the dald has their little fortress right across the way yes they they? do and so it's the sort of case of going there as the good immaculate monk you know Hello, we need we need assistance from the noble house of Ladal. And you get them, they loan you a dragon, and then as soon as they come in, they're like, what the hell have you done here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's a question of how far are they willing to help you uh, once they realise what you're doing. Which probably quite far if you've got some gods that... It then becomes the case of the little the extra dragon help you're bringing in start giving you, for use of better term, side quests of Ladal, like... We'll keep supporting you, but you get us some of those magic-y guys to give us something interesting. And the sinus ones be like, sure, there's a god of the marijuana fields out there who I think we could get on board and get some agreeable terms. And it's that sort of thing of, as your empire building, it stops being just, yeah, we're going to set up the perfected hierarchy. And it slowly becomes more corrupted of, you're building an empire here. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's absolutely the Breaking Bad arc. <laughs> yeah. But it sort of needs to get bigger than that, really, because the kind of the goal of how far do you sort of measure success, because you're not going to take over Great Forks. I don't think that doing that is a sensible goal for this sort of a game. I don't know, Lame is style music going off with the mortals rising up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The problem is that they'll just set up another spirit court somewhere down the river. Yes. They absolutely will. But you have great forks. (laughs) And then Vanahar will invade. Uh, Not even Vanahar. Vanahar, I mean, is an option, but uh, the big thing that happens to you as soon as the three are gone, Walker's realm is right there. (laughs) Mm. And the only reason that he's really left them alone, you can argue, oh, Walker's a nicer guy, but more realistically, the last Death Lord that inhabited that Shadowland got the whammy put on them by the three yes and you can also potentially have walker as someone who you're dealing with Uh, oh yes i love i love using walker as the guy you cut deals with my players are getting horrible horrible flashbacks to my impression of james woods hades from disney's hercules because that's the (laughs) voice that i used for for walker for the entire (laughs) the entire game it's going to be those third edition Walker fans who are like, what? Oh, they said he's like a wandering mercenary. Oh, you poor child, you don't remember second. <laughs> he was yeah. basically Hades from Hercules back then. He was the nice one. Again, it's a case of what sort of thing you want to deal with. But having 
Walker in as sort of the ally of last resort. Oh, no. <clears throat> and kind it's of what... I tell you how it happens. I'm a clown. I forgot the obvious thing. When Walker's cutting deals with the government and the people in Great Forks, he doesn't go there in person. No. He has an agent. He yes. has the Green Lady. The Green Lady's a dragon. Okay. Or at least everyone thinks she is. There's loose implications that she might actually be a Sid. She's not an Abyssal is the big thing. Mm. But everyone assumes she's a dragon. She dresses like a dragon and acts like one. You're recruiting all the dragons you can get early on. And you get yeah. this nice lady who's handy with the swords. She's not told you who she's working for. <laughs> and then when you start getting in trouble, well, she's the only one out of the big dragons you get that isn't giving you side quests until you have a problem. But I know a guy. Yes. And to drop hints on what she is you can have her be the only one that signs on without a catch. Yeah. That doesn't have a price. You can obviously start asking the question because everyone in Great Forks assumes she's a dragon, which would be enough for your intel gathering to read her as dragon. If you want to be really funny about it, you can go with the implications the second had that she might be a Sid. Yes. Which makes what you're doing an even bigger question of, is the Bureau okay with this? Or following that, is she still a Sid on side? Or is she rogue? Yeah, and third has emphasized the rogue sidereals quite a bit more as a possibility of not everyone who is a sidereal is part of the bureaucracy at least not at any given time they will make efforts to bring them in but they won't start that way certainly yeah the um but yeah she's the only one that comes on with that catch i think it's a bonus point if she's one of the first ones especially if you go with the line of she's a sid of she sees where this is going there's good money to be made here yes also a potential idea of actually getting the Bureau involved of... I imagine Great Forks is something that's quite a thorn in the side of yes. the Sidereals, so... A lot of what the three do, the three being the gods that run Great Forks, we'll get into this in their episode, but a lot of what they do is built <clears throat> around the idea of be as prosperous as we can without drawing Heaven's attention too much. The yes. Bureau, it doesn't mention specifically having a beef with, but the actual celestial bureaucracy hate them. Yes. So, again, it's it's an idea of who you can cut your deals with and what sort of a consequence. Have a whole bunch of different power players. Like, the different houses will want different things. The Immaculate Order will want different things. Siderials will want different things. Have all of those options available to you. And then just see how far you are willing to go and diverge from the idea of the Immaculate Order for power in Great Forks. Get really deranged. Start cutting deals with Lookshy as well. (laughs) Depends very much on the players, but yes. Yeah. You want muscle, they can give you muscle. Yeah. They can give you dragon-blooded muscle. And they appreciate. That's a really good intel-gathering machine you've got right there. (laughs) You want some muscle? Keep us up to date on what's going on. Hmm... There is far too much mileage in this idea. Yeah. The worst thing is, I can't just go away and run it now. I just, I, I finished a game that went on for nearly two years that was based in and around Great Forks recently. I can't just go there again, but I love it. It's my city. <laughs> oh, dear. This is one that we're absolutely going to have to write up, at least. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say, watch this space at wondrousatlas.wordpress.com during our interseason break and we will get some some of the um, adventure seeds that we've been discussing written up. And I think this is one of those candidates. Yeah. With that, I think this brings us to a close. Yes, I think it does. And so, if you like what we've said or didn't like what we've said or 
wish to inform me that the Bureau will be sending operatives to get my head for my crimes against fate, uh, you can email us at wondrousatlas at gmail.com or leave reviews below, above, to the left or right, perhaps, of wherever this is, depending on what you're you're using. (laughs) In addition to that... We're also drive through RPG affiliates, so you can go and pick up all of the books that we've talked about and all of the books we haven't talked about, like the Compass of Terrestrial Directions, uh, the one, the Scavenger Lands, which is great for understanding half of what I was going on about in that last section. And next episode, contrary to what I said in the lore episode, because I forgot how our sequencing worked, uh, <laughs> we're actually doing secondary schools. The Realm Roundup will come after. Yes, we've kind of brought up the secondary schools at various points, but we've not gone into a deep dive as to what they all are, how they work, what the kind of a sequence for realm education is, and it's quite a vital thing for understanding Dragonblood as as a whole. So we will be unpacking the three main schools and the general process, and probably just any random small ones that we can kind of squeeze in as little asides here and there to give illustrations of how the whole realm education system works, because it's magnificently laid out, and it's really fun to run games in those. Yeah. Yes. But that's, I think, it for now. Thank you ever so much for joining us. We do hope you've joined us cracking open the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny on the Immaculate Order. Thank you, and goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny, an exalted podcast presented by Aramithius and Rails. Check out the show notes and story seeds from this episode at wondrousatlas.wordpress.com and if you have any questions, drop us an email at wondrousatlas at gmail.com. The opening music for this podcast is Travelling to the Blessed Isle by James Semple and the closing music is Exploring Creation, also by James Semple. Both tracks are taken from the album Exalted, Dreams of the Second Age and are property of Onyx Path Publishing, used with permission. Oh, cat, go away. Go away. No. No. Ah! Right. (laughs) This is a comfortable place to be. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, I have a cat who is determined to be a parrot. We'll we'll come and perch on the shoulder. Uh, It's a high up place where you can better see birds and other animals. Yeah, except she's not looking at anything apart from a wall. There could be birds in the wall. There could be birds in the wall. This is always a possibility. Okay. Uh, ah! No, no, no. Cat. Let me extract you properly. <laughs>